This is our third, third message in Colossians. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Josh Locke started us off. He gave us an overview of the book. He talked a little bit about the first half of chapter one. And then Steve Hammes, two weeks ago, talked about the second half of chapter one. And do you get the shallow news yet? Anybody not get the shallow news? Raise your hand. That's an email that comes out on Friday. Anyone? Because if you don't get it, that means you may not have filled out the I'm new card because that's one way you get it. Uh, so fill out your I'm new card if you're new. I know who you are. I'm looking. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so fill out the I'm new card. But in the shallow news this past Friday, I, I talked about um, something that, that I saw in Colossians 1 because I'm working on Colossians 2, right? And in one twenty three. Paul is telling the church at Colossus they've got to continue to believe the truth of the gospel and stand firm in it. And he encourages them not to drift away from the insurance they've received. Why did, why did he say that? Why would he say, don't drift away from the assurance you've received? Now, have you ever gone to a lazy river? Anybody? Like you're in a, the amusement park and like you get the big tubes or the water park. You get the big tubes, you lay in it. And what do you do? You do nothing because it's lazy, right? You're just sitting there, but the water flow is just taking you nice and meander down through. It's usually, you know, twists and turns. Now, as lazy as that is, have you ever tried to swim upstream in your tube? Anybody? Right? It's probably impossible that you could actually swim up, but it's a lazy river, right? And if that's a lazy river, just imagine what the current of life can do to us when... When we're flowing in it, like we're going upstream. And Paul is telling them, don't drift from this assurance. So, so what is he telling? Why is he telling them? And that, that kind of cues up why we're going to be looking at, at Colossians 2 today. So in a minute, we're going to be reading through all of Colossians 2. I'm going to ask Monica Murphy to come up and read for me so that I don't have to do even more talking. Um, we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you've got a phone or an iPad uh, and you want to look up New Living in your Bible app, that's the one. So then it's going to match word for word or feel free to use your hard copy. But before she comes, I just want to uh, remind everyone that we're in a summer reading plan as a church. So if you haven't been participating, there's still time. You can get into this as well. And, and if you look at the dates up there, if you can see the, the different cards, you just go to shallowcommunity.church and look for the What's Happening tab. It's It's... Uh, that tab. And when you get there, you'll see the reading plan. But this past week, we've read all of Colossians 2. This next week, we're going to read all of Colossians 2 and get into Colossians 3 because next, next week's sermon is going to be about Colossians 3. So uh, I'd like to invite Monica up and have her read Colossians 2 for us. Could we all stand while Monica reads for us? I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down in him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. 
For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Let's pray before we, before we sit down. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. And God, I, I know that there's things you have for us in, in this message, uh, things in your word that you have for each one of us. God, would you by your Holy Spirit just reveal them to us? Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, illuminate these scriptures to us in, in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, now you may be seated. Thanks. You know, so if you've been reading... Colossians with us this past week. Hopefully your experience in reading is similar to mine. I I can't help but read God's word sometimes. And like as I'm reading all of a sudden, wow, that one stands out to me. Like I want to write it down. I want to write write my thought about it. And then I'm reading a little bit further and, and something else stands out to me. And so, so my personal devotional time, it looks a little bit like this. I, I read, I'm reading through the Bible, and, and I read the different scriptures, and each time I have like one of those moments where a verse stands out to me, I, I write something down, and I call it a takeaway. And, and sometimes, you know, I can read through all my reading, and I just have one takeaway. Or sometimes I have like five, six, seven, even more, right? And, and then I, I try to take all the things that I have for that day and say, God, which is the one you want me to focus on? Because sometimes I'm a little scatterbrained, you know? And, uh, and I, I, like, I want to reduce it down to one thought that I'm going to try to carry with me throughout the day. And then I take that thought, that scripture, that thought, and I text it to a whole bunch of people that I'm reading God's word with. We're reading the same plan together. So that's a little bit of an insight into what I do on a daily basis. But now as I'm looking at Colossians 2, I'm like, how am I going to take all my takeaways and get them into one message? Well, we're going to be here till about 1130. Is that okay with everybody? Right? No, we're not, we're not going to go late. But what I've had to do is, is I've had to prioritize. I've had to, I've had to focus. And I think sometimes that's really helpful. But hopefully what's going to happen today is you've already, we've already read it together. 
I, I believe that, that God's Holy Spirit is already showing you, wow, there's a verse there. What, what was it saying? Like, that's why we're reading it again this coming week and then going into Colossians 3, that you can dig a little bit more into what is the Holy Spirit perhaps wanting to say to you? I'm going to share what he said to me that I'm going to trust is going to minister to us all. So as I looked at Colossians 2, I, I start with an outline. And as I looked at, at this chapter, I'm presenting verses 1 to 5. It's really, this is Paul's problem statement, what he's telling the church. Hey, here's an issue. And he presents that in, in verses 1 to 5. And, and then 6 to 15, he's talking about new life that's coming in, in who Christ is. And then I believe 16 to 23, you know, my summary of that is he's, he's giving us freedom from condemnation of others' opinions. Right? Don't we often have that today? Like, everybody's got an opinion. Did you ever feel like, I don't know that I want to share my opinion because I'm just going to be judged if I share it, right? Paul is trying to tell the church, hey, I want you to have freedom over all of this. So I'm going to jump right into the problem statement here. Verse 1 to 5, this is what we see in in chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who've never met me personally. Right? What is Paul agonizing about? Paul, what, what's the problem? Like, why? You know what? I, I think I know a little bit about how Paul feels. Because sometimes, you know, before I was an elder, like I, I had the whole church in my heart. Now as a pastor, oh man, you have the church in your heart in a whole deeper way. Like there's times, I, you can ask my wife, I'll fall asleep in nanoseconds. But here's what happens. I'll wake up at maybe 3, 4, 5 in the morning and I have a really hard time going back to sleep because I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. And, and it's like, God, I need to give this burden back to you, Lord. I want some sleep, please. But this is what it means. And I think Paul is agonizing because he's thinking of what's happening in the church. And he's like, I've got to get something across to you right now. So what is he agonizing about? He goes forward in verse 2 to say, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Who's the them? The them is the church. And I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself in him, in Jesus, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So really, Paul's sharing his heart with them about the centrality of Christ. He's saying, look, I desire that you would love one another. I desire that you would encourage one another. That's what he wants for the body. But, you know, think about our body today. So often, we don't really get that love and encouragement. If, if you agree with me, I love and encourage you. You disagree with me, now I'm going to shame you, I'm going to label you, and I'm probably not going to talk to you again. We've, we've lost the art of disagreeing and loving. But Paul's like, no, I want your love to, I want you to love one another. I don't want you to judge. I want you to be knit. And then he goes on to say, I want you to have complete confidence to understand God's mysterious plan. Think about the choice of words. Complete confidence in God's mysterious plan. You know, I, I, it's easy for me to have complete confidence when, when I fully understand something, right? I, I'm, I'm a guy, you, I get a new tool, I want to read the whole book, right? And I want to understand what do the instructions say? It's like, read this before you unpack it. I'm the guy that reads it before I unpack it. Uh, most of the time. Sometimes I just like, this is a kid's toy, I can figure it out. Kid's toys are the ones you really want to read because those are the most complicated things to put together, right? It's not, not intuitive all the time. But But Paul is saying, I want you to have complete confidence in something mysterious. Why? Why would he say that? Because there is the mystery of, just as Ed talked about, how could God, the Father, 
give his only son to die for all of us that we're not worth it. We're sinners. Like, it would be one thing if we were worth it. He's like, you know what? These people are pretty good. We're nothing. Yet he chose because of his love. That's a mystery. It's a mystery that Jesus would set aside his godliness and become fully man to take on our sin. That's a mystery. We don't understand that, but yet we can have complete confidence in it. And there's something that Paul's trying to get across. He's like, hey, dig into this because this is what I want for you. I want you to know that. And then in his problem statement, we come to verses 4 and 5 where he tells us a little bit more about it. He says, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you. That's the problem. There was deception coming to the church. And how were they being deceived? They were being deceived with well-crafted arguments. For though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you're living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. You know, it's so interesting that Paul would tell them, hey, I don't want you to be deceived by these well-crafted arguments, but then like I'm reading, you're reading, I'm like, okay, what were the arguments? I'd love him to say, okay, point one is this, counterpoint. Point two, counterpoint. He doesn't go into that. Maybe it's because it was just so known what the well-crafted arguments were, he didn't feel the need to have to to pen it. Or maybe it's so that we can kind of fill in the blank. What are the well-crafted arguments that we're facing? And, And he's like, okay, you need to know that the enemy comes to deceive you with these well crafted arguments. So are you going to be deceived or are you going to be standing on my truth? Are you going to know what my truth is? So Paul tells us God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. That's what he says in chapter 1. And then he says in chapter 2, have complete confidence in God's mysterious plan, which is Christ. He's telling us this for a reason, to say don't, don't go down the path. Don't drift away from who Jesus is. I want you to, I want you to follow who Christ is. So think about what we hear today. Do we hear follow Christ? No, I hear a lot of follow the science, right? And, and then this person's got one set of science and this person's got another set of science and they both want me to follow the science and I'm like, I'm confused. I'm not sure which way to go because in my book, science is science. Like in God we trust, all others must bring data. Data is only one set of data, but somehow we can go in different directions and we're all following the science. Well, I'll, I'll make it simpler for you. Follow Jesus, Because if you follow Jesus, you'll never have to worry. There's well-crafted arguments. And I'm not saying the science is one of the well-crafted arguments. But there's well-crafted arguments today that come against us to deceive. And what does it mean to deceive? To deceive is when we take our eyes off of Christ and we start to put them on something else. And we raise that up higher than who Christ is. So I'm going to summarize all of this problem statement, these three points, into one takeaway. You ready? This is how my mind works. I don't, know, I don't know why I do this, but this is just who I am. Lies can masquerade. They can masquerade as well-crafted arguments, and we need to remain humble, and we, we need to remain grounded in God's word. But, like, let's be aware. We're living in a world and in a culture where lies have masks on, and they look like truth, but it isn't truth, right? And, and the only way we're going to know and to be able to, to uh, interpret what is truth and what is a lie is to have the Spirit of God inside of us and to know his word, right? So, so that's where I think Paul is trying to tell them. So let's ask ourselves, what are the lies we're believing today, right? How do I know if it's a lie or not? H- how do we know? 
We need to trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us discernment. We need to stay in the word. That's how we're going to move forward. All right, so that's the problem statement. Let's move on to the next section, new life in Christ. In verse 6, Paul says, And now, just as you accept Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Isn't it interesting that Paul has to tell them, continue to follow them? Hey, Caleb, now that you know Jesus, continue to follow him. Well, all right, Greg, I am. I, I know that. Well, he's telling them for a reason because maybe they were just like starting to stutter step a little bit. He's like, no, continue to follow Jesus. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Do you remember when for Kids Camp Sunday, Kathy Saller was up here and she talked about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand? Right? That was like the best example, Kathy, I have ever seen of like the, the house on the sand just kind of melted into nothingness. And, and like that's what it means. You don't want a house like that. You want your house to, to be founded on the rock Christ Jesus and have your roots to grow down deep in him. Not to go down, it's a growth. It happens over time. And then it says, here's a measure. And, and I love measures. It says, when, this, when your faith is growing stronger in the truth, you're going to overflow with thankfulness. All right, be honest. Have you had moments of overflowing thankfulness this past week? Like, I'm thinking, I just came back from vacation, and you know what? It was kind of a, a week from you know where, right? It was very hard. A lot of work to do. Some of it exciting. Some of it really difficult. But where was the thankfulness? And, and you know, there's the times when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about that or praying about the other. The way I get to thankfulness is I've got to get it off of my chest and put it back on the Lord. And then I've got to remember, God, you are so great. You are so faithful. I've got to start seeing it as the bigger picture that this is just a small thing in all of eternity. God, you've got this. I don't have to worry about it. And I think, you know, the moment I start to do that, it's, a thankfulness starts to well up. Now, I'll be honest, I don't have moments of these overflowing thankfulness that I'm walking throughout the week like that. It's a struggle for me. It's probably a struggle for you too. But I think if, if I'm not at overflowing thankfulness, it just means I've got more to do in growing stronger in my faith. And, and that's my takeaway, that, that we, I can continue to press in and can continue to work on that. So what or who is your anchor? That's what Paul's asking. And then he goes on in in 8 to 10 to say, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So I think he's giving us two things. We can have the human thinking and we can have the spiritual forces against us. It can be both, but both are doing what? They're coming against who Christ is. For in Christ lies all the fullness of God in human body. He's saying this for a reason. He's trying, this is how he's counteracting these well-crafted arguments with truth. He's not telling them this is the argument. He's just giving them the truth. Christ lives in all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. See, Jesus is the head. When we hear different things, it's like, all right, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It's not at the name of this person or that person or or some other other person. So so I want to give you a well-crafted argument for a minute. Suppose I come to you and I say, you know what? I believe we need to strive for world peace. We need a place where everyone is loved and accepted, where we recognize that there's many ways to God and we don't judge one another for how we approach God. 
You know, some of you may be like, yeah. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Do I really agree with everything he just said? But that's what a well-crafted argument is. See, the enemy comes with a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie. And if we're not careful, we'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Let me break that down. Yeah, is it wrong to pray for world peace? No, I don't think it's wrong to pray for world peace. But this is what the Bible says. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it says that Jesus is going to come back on a white horse because this whole earth is going to be in Armageddon. It's going to be a, a huge war. So like the earth is not ending in peace. We, we can read the rest of the book. We know how it's going to end. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the church of Jesus Christ. How about everyone is loved and accepted? You know what I love about Jesus is that he loved and accepted everyone. Right? He told the woman at the well that had five husbands and the one that, the, that she was with was not her husband. He loved her. And you see, when Jesus loves you, you're never the same ever again. When you receive that love, you can't remain the same because you, you receive his love and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I got to go do this. When Zacchaeus came down, he was the worst tax collector around. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to come to your house, Zacchaeus, and I'm going to have dinner with you. Think of your most notorious sinner in, in the world. You're going to go sit with that person. Well, as a pastor, I just want to show them the love. Jesus made no apology. He, he made no excuse. He just loved Zacchaeus. And you know, Zacchaeus changed when he received the love of God. Right? Because we cannot stay the same. When we receive the love of Jesus, it's not that we have to change to receive it, but Jesus accepts us just the way we are. And as soon as we receive that love, all of a sudden, Our hearts are flooded in a way they've never been flooded before with with such an unconditional love. We just start to naturally change. It's not that we change to come to him. We receive him and we start to change because of his love. So recognize the world is at odds with Christ. Jesus is the only answer. Then the last piece. Uh, What was my statement, right? Everyone's loved and accepted where we recognize there's many ways to God and we don't judge others. Okay, are there really many ways to God? All right, what, what we just read in Colossians was Jesus is the head over every ruler and authority. John 14, 6 says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. So the world is at odds with, with who Jesus is. Let's recognize that. We're on a lazy river, and there's times when we're trying to paddle up the lazy river. We're, we're going against the current. The world is at odds with Christ. And then Paul goes into this powerful experience of water baptism, which is just an incredible. If you've never been water baptized, like, I would love to see you get water baptized. We're, we're still talking as a church when the next one is. Prayerfully, it'll be early September, but I'm going to save this whole topic of water baptism because we do an entire service where we teach on it, and then we have a big tank, and we, we may open it up for whoever wants to be water baptized. We'll let you know when it's coming, hopefully coming this fall. So now I'll take all of this and I'm going to reduce it to a takeaway again. The world is heading in a different direction than I am as a believer. I need God's word to be my compass and my life to be hidden in Christ. See, if we can recognize, my, my dad always had a good statement for us as kids. There was eight of us in the family. He's like, if you're going to school and you're fitting in really well, you're probably doing something wrong. Because as a believer, you should go to public school and you should stand out. You should be different. There's a spirit inside of you that is not in most of the other kids in in your school. You need to, to reflect who Jesus is. 
You know, and if, if we're going to our places of work, if, if we're going about, you know, walking in our neighborhood and, and everyone, like we're fitting in super well, like we're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be truth. It's okay to fit in. But if no one knows there's anything different about you, if they would never, you're a Christian? I never knew that. Oh, it's probably not the, the best thing you want to hear, right? It should be, what's different about you? Why is it? That you don't react the way everybody else is reacting. You don't gossip the way everybody else does. Or you're not belittling others. What is it that's different? We're going against. We're going in a different direction. And the only way we know how to go is to have the compass of who Jesus is in our lives. Right? I, I love a compass because the compass is centered on the magnetic pull of the earth. It's centered on who Jesus is. Right? He holds it all together. It's not the compass is my thoughts or it's your thoughts. It's who Jesus is, and that's our compass to tell us which way to go and maybe which way not to go, and that our life would be hidden in Christ. If you haven't, if, you know, maybe some of you have already read Colossians, but that life is hidden in Christ, I'm stealing it from Colossians 3.3, all right, where it says that we've died and our life is now hidden in Christ, because I think it's important. So I'm going to move to the, to the last section, the, this freedom from condemn, condemnation of other people's opinions. And Paul says this in 16, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Paul's telling him, hey, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of things that people... So, so do, we, do we still adhere to, to Jewish Levitical law? Do we not adhere to Jewish Levitical law? See, he's talking to the early church which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And, and the Jews were trying to get the Gentiles, hey, follow all of these things that, that we've been following all this time. But they're Gentile, they're not Jews. And Paul's trying to say, hey, look at what's in front of you. It's the reality of Jesus Christ. It's the, this relationship with Jesus that I want you to focus on. So, so now you notice I have a picture there. If you're driving down the road and, and this is what you're seeing, how would you describe what you're seeing as you're driving? Maybe you'd say, wow, I see that sunset and the clouds. It's amazing. Or, wow, look at the ocean. Like, I can hardly tell it's there because of the sun reflecting on it or, or the mountains. But would anybody come and say, oh, my gosh, did you see that guardrail? That's the most amazing guardrail I've ever seen in my life. Now, see, when we drive down the road, the guardrails are there, but only to help us stay centered. We're looking down. We're looking ahead for where we're going. And, and those guardrails are like God's love for us, right? He, he puts guardrails in our life so that we'd be centered and focused on who he is. We're, we're never supposed to look at the rule and say, okay, can I get a little closer to that guardrail? Like that's not the thought when you're driving. The driving is I want to experience all that's ahead of me, not how close can I get to one side or the other without crossing the line. But you see, God's love is just that. It's unconditional for us that he loves us the way we are. But when his love comes to us, it's captivating. We're no longer thinking about the rules and regulations. We're thinking about, wow, all of a sudden, when God's law comes into our life and his love comes into our life, we don't see the guardrail anymore. We see the sunset, right? We, we see the mountains. We see the ocean because we're looking ahead of who we are. And I know as Meg and I were raising our kids, right, and, and we're, we're in this constant struggle of, all right, you got rules as a family and, and trying to parent, but then kids rebel against rules, right? And, and this quote from Josh McDowell, I just want to leave this with you. It says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. 
And I think if we try to approach our Heavenly Father as He's just a God of rules, we're going to rebel against that. But when we understand He's a God of relationship, His love captivates us, it fills us, and now we're no longer concerned about a guardrail. We're, we're concerned about, I see the sunset for the first time in my life. I see the water. God, God is showing us what's ahead of us. Next we find in verse 20, it says, You've died with Christ, and he sets you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't touch, don't taste? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. So freedom comes through the power of the cross. There's nothing I can do in my personal discipline to try to, to, try to be more like Jesus, except that I would surrender, except that I'd open up my heart more to who he is in my life, right? Freedom comes, it's the power of the cross that changes me. It's his love that changes me. Have you ever tried to change yourself and all of a sudden you find, okay, I, I make it for a while and then I slide back, don't we? That is human nature, But it's when Jesus floods us that we're never the same. His love changes us forever. So the Bible says we've died with Christ. Our freedom is not our right to do what we want. Our freedom is our right to to follow his his love and to follow what he has in front of us. And I think in this world today, we've lost the art of disagreeing and still loving one another. if, If you disagree with me, you know what? This is what I do. I'm like, oh, well... I don't think you're tolerant of, of different ideas and, and I think you're a bad person. And I start name calling and start going down these things like, how can I say you're intolerant? Does that make me tolerant? Because it's like trying to be humble in a prideful way, right? I, it's just you can't have the two together. So the minute I start saying you're intolerant of my ideas, now I'm, I'm being intolerant of your ideas. But yet that's what we do sometimes in this world. And I think in Jesus, we can do something different. We can love unconditionally. We can show people the truth of who God is. And then we have the last verse in the chapter. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Right? I'm calling that human religiosity. When I think that my approach to Jesus It's all about me and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it that's going to get me there. I've missed the whole point of the gospel. I've missed the fact that I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. I need to receive who he is in my life, and that's what changes me to to be more like him. It's not me trying harder. Do I need to try? Of course I need to try. But that try is in surrender. That try is in giving up. It's not my rights. I lay down my rights to him right, and say, Lord Jesus, come be my Lord. So I want to give you my best impression of religiosity, right? I might be religious if I said, I read my Bible every day, I pray morning, noon, and night, and I fast once a week. How about you? Right, so I'm, I'm puffing myself up, and now I'm challenging you with my puffing up and saying, okay, take your eyes off of Jesus, start to compare yourself to me, right? That is never what God tells us to do. We, we don't compare ourselves to one another. We compare ourselves to Jesus, so if there's ever a time where you feel like condemned because someone's comparing them, you to them, and saying, well, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? No, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the most important thing. And actually, you can tell me, Greg, you're only praying morning, noon, and night. You're supposed to pray without ceasing. So you're really not following the word of God, right? There's always a catch in there. But beware of it. That's what Paul's saying. 
Keep your eyes on the road ahead of you, which is Jesus. Don't be looking for the guardrails and and how you're going to bend one or, or move one. So my takeaway for this is God... What happened? Yeah, God desires relationship with me. Freedom, not condemnation. He wants me to be authentic, not religious. Right? That's what God wants from us. He, he wants this love relationship. I was so glad to hear the word that Ed spoke about. This is how much God loves us. That he would give his only son. And recognize, if, if you feel like you need to deserve God's love or you need to earn God's love, that's not what he says. He says, you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. I give it to you freely. But, but here's what happens. When you receive the love of Jesus Christ, you're never the same. It's not that we change to earn his love. We receive it just the way we are, and now we're captivated by him, and we're drawn into him, and we see things that we've never seen before. So why does all of this matter? Why did we spend the whole time going through Colossians 2? I gave us three takeaways today, right? That lies can masquerade as well-crafted arguments. We need to remain humble and grounded in God's word. The world is heading in a different direction than we are as believers, I really need God's word to be my compass and my life to be hidden in Christ. And lastly, that God desires relationship with me, freedom, not condemnation. He desires me to be authentic and not religious. So now I want to summarize with, all right, what could I take as an application for life today from this chapter? You know, and as I noticed how I outlined it, something that the Holy Spirit started to speak to me was, think about your life and things that you face in life. Maybe if you're going through a struggle or or a difficult time, Sometimes we think we know what the problem is, but actually we're not focusing on the problem, we're focusing on a branch, you know? And the thing about when you try to trim branches, guess what? I was doing this the other week. You got to trim them all over again, right? You trim them all the time if you're just trimming a branch. You want to get rid of the branch, you got to do what? You got to go to the root. You got to cut it down at the trunk. So maybe if there's something in your life that you're struggling with, perhaps you've been focused on the branch. And Paul's saying, Define the problem. Go to, go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, show me what the problem is here. Maybe you're facing an issue and you're stuck in a relationship. Ask God, what's the real problem? Is it, is it my emotional reaction? Is it I'm insecure? Or am I selfish? Like, is there something deeper than just the branch I'm dealing with? And then whenever you feel like, okay, God, I feel like I understand the problem, then look to Jesus Because Jesus is the one that gives us new life. Jesus is the one that has the answer. That's what Paul was telling the church. Continue to grow in your faith. How do we grow in our faith? We grow in our faith by bringing our issues to Jesus and saying, show me, Lord, how do I deal with this? Let me receive the new life that you have. And then there's times that our our hands are full and our heads are full with just other people's thoughts and condemnation and shame for for what we've done or where we've been. And we need freedom from that And, and Paul was telling the church, hey, I don't want you to get caught up in this self-pious, self-denial, you know, severe discipline of your bodies. I want you to focus on who Jesus is. And, and there's times when we need to lay our burden at the cross, and that's how we receive his new life. So would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true. Lord, I thank you for how we've applied your word today to our lives. And, and Holy Spirit, only you can take these verses and illuminate them and let them sink from our heads to our hearts. So, so God, would you do that today? 
Would you have something of life for each one of us as you walk out of here, as we continue to read Colossians 2 this week, Lord? Let your word begin to to speak to us in ways that it hasn't spoken, Lord. Let us receive your love in such a fresh way that we're changed forever. We thank you for that, Lord. We trust you for that, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming today. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for joining us online. God bless.